This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. Back to you is up next, but first take a listen to this other fine OPI show. On this week's Free Kicks with Adam and Rick, we discuss the new champions. We will look at Liverpool and where they stand in terms of the pantheon of champions. Um, They're certainly up there. You'll find out this week on Free Kicks. Adam's going to tell us exactly where he thinks they rank, and he has seen every Champions League since the league was founded. So we'll find out that and lots of other great soccer news on an OPI show, Free Kicks with Adam and Rick on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The following is a Tony Lozano podcast, an OPI show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Back to You with me, Howard Sudbury, and my co-host, Steve Baskerville. Steve, I'm exhausted today. Boy. Well, I you haven't that was an exhausting intro. That was short. <laughs> that was kind of short for you. Yeah, it was. Because you usually uh, go go on and on. Are are you doing okay during these uh days of solitude that still are with us where we're struggling to i'm doing okay but i'm not doing well but the exhaustion comes from two or three days a week we have our two-year-old granddaughter with us so we are chasing her around again that 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 will worry out keep young or make you old i'm not sure which well it's something very strange with it feels like there's so much time available but at the end of the day, it feels like it's gone by pretty fast for some reason. And the only thing I'm trying to adjust to is Saturday feeling like Monday, and Monday feels like Wednesday. I'm having trouble keeping track of the days. None of that is changing. Me too. And then I was working 60, 70 hours a week and, until like the beginning of March, and now I'm home all the time, and you can't go out. I'm not whining. Well, I guess I am whining. Uh, <laughs> you can't go out. Yeah. You know, to restaurants, you can't do this or that. So, I mean, everybody's going a little bit crazy. Well, I'm just hoping, and we all are, hoping that it's sooner than later. What I find, might not see, <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to try to be the king of segues here because what I find myself doing lately is looking at old sporting events and treating them like they are happening for the first time. And I'm starting to get a kick out of watching older games. I mean, I, I went as far back as to watch a 1952 World Series game. That's crazy. Like the Dodgers and the Yankees from 1952. Who does that and watches the whole game? Well, evidently and, somebody and, does or wouldn't be on. <laughs> right. But it made the nostalgia is strong. Now, I don't know how many people feel that. Because it feels like these things may never come back again. I, who knows if they're going to play baseball, how soon that's going to happen. It, it, to me, it doesn't feel like it's going to happen this year. Yeah, I when agree. Are, with, I when agree. are football games going to ever look like they used to? What are college sports going to ever look and feel like they used to? So I pine for the old days. And uh, it's weird. I, I am clutching in, in a heartfelt way to – these past events and i like reliving them now yeah I, I i get that uh i take an optimistic view i think it's all gonna look 
I, I'm certainly hopeful that it's all going to look a lot more normal next year. Uh, I don't know about this year, but I think we're going to get back to where we were at some point, and we'll we'll whip this thing. But uh, we'll talk a little well, more hey, about that. Uh, pardon yeah. me. No, go ahead. Yes. Uh, with our with our guest today, this, this sounds like our this sounds like our usual conversation, doesn't it? I was wondering when we'd start to stumble over each other. You're right. Talk over sooner than later. Talk over each other because yeah, you want the first and the last word. no you always wind up with it so go on go on anyway our guests are publishers authors podcasters radio producers advertising executives i mean the things that these guys have done and we share the podcast network network with them they're on the opi opi shows network and they have the Minutia Men. Well, we'll find out how many shows they do. They do about five or six of them. And they are Rick Kempfer and David Stern. Gentlemen, thanks for coming on with us. Oh, it's our uh, pleasure. Make us sound like the Renaissance right, men right. here. You know, when you guys started arguing. Well, you are. When you guys started arguing, I started feeling uncomfortable. Like, should we leave the room while yeah. they're arguing? And that was mild. They haven't heard us argue yet, have they? Yeah, well, we want to make it hours, so we probably will, probably, right? <laughs> well, you know what, Howard? The, Rick and David make me feel like such an underachiever when I hear oh, you oh, talk please. about the things that they do. You're right, yeah, right? Let's wrap this up because I got a Zumba class <laughs> that I am teaching at, at four, okay? I agree. I'm, I'm painting right now yeah, as, as we right, discussed right, it. Right. I thought about that when I was, you know, reading the bio, and I, I knew a little bit about their background but uh you know the fact that they've accomplished all this i i thought the same thing steve that uh, i had under under accomplished but uh let's let's start it out rick i'm i'm curious you and david formed eckhart press yeah in in 2011 and that's a time where the business was changing and, you know, the bookstores were beginning to go out of business and, and, and e-books and all this. So I, I'm just curious how and why and what, what kind of knowledge you had to, to delve into this world. Well, we kind of have a, uh, a nose for failing business. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, We've got a truckload of 8-track tapes coming in yeah. uh, in about an hour. I, you so. know, I was in the radio business. I saw that was dying. And I said, what could be dying more than radio? How about publishing? <laughs> no, but the, I, the truth is I had written a couple of books uh, with New York publishers. And I, you know, it's getting an agent and going to uh, New York and, and pitching yourself and it, it's just a it was such a huge process and it was such a pain in the butt and after you spend a year writing a book or two years or however long it takes sometimes to then go through all of that before you even get published it was just too much and 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 dave was in the paper business and, and another uh, failing business <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> and so you know it would seem like a a time to just figure out what it takes to make books and so we did a little research into it and we found out that we could do it at a reasonable cost here in chicago and there really aren't many chicago publishers and so we just you know put our shingle out and we did our first book was my book and then from there on i just you know we started getting calls from people that i know like 
John Records Landecker, who's someone I, I produced his show as a radio producer. He wanted to write a book. And then Joel Daly from uh, Channel 7 uh, in Chicago wanted to uh, publish a book. And soon we were publishing all these media books. And then when the media business uh, catches on to who you are, then everyone else eventually catches on to who you are. And that really was kind of how we became a successful publisher. You know, the thing about books, I I really am one of those people that likes to hold the book, go into a Borders, of, I think there are a few of them, uh, I mean Barnes & Noble, I think Borders, are, they're, yeah, gone. Borders they're gone, gone. But, yeah. uh, but Barnes & Noble, I, you know, I like going in there and just, you know, just looking at the books on the shelves, and, and I'm praying that they don't uh, go the way of yesteryear, that you can always be able to go physically see that inspires me to buy books more than anything i can't imagine not being able to hold the book but have to buy it like say through the internet only yeah well amazon is uh, amazon is making that tough i gotta say because yeah. uh they're uh they're just crushing everyone <laughs> that's there and that's not just the book publishing business but it certainly is one of the businesses that they're crushing. Yeah, you know, I, th I think that there's always going to be a place for some sort of brick-and-mortar retail book outlet. Um, yeah. I don't necessarily think it's going to be a big-box kind of model like Barnes & Noble. I mean, they're, I mean, if you go to the Barnes & Noble in um, Old Orchard, I mean, it's an absolute gorgeous store. You know, it's two, yes. it's two stories, and there's the gold railings and everything. And you have a good coffee bar. Yeah, right, but, and... but you got like you got like 14 people working there and six people buying books. You know, right. I, I think yeah. it's the end of... Yeah. And 10,000 different books. Right, and I don't know if you guys know this, but most of the books at a Barnes & Noble, they don't even own the books. The publishers are putting them on a consignment basis. Hmm. So... Um, so that that poses a lot of problems. First of all, publishers, they're going to have to create and manufacture books for all of these distribution outlets, hoping that they're going to sell. And as you know, that is not that's not a good cash no. flow model. <laughs> um, I do think, though, that the independent, the small independent um, bookstores like the bookseller in uh, Lincoln Square and uh, bookies down in um, what is it? Uh, Beverly. Beverly. Uh, I think those kind of stores are going to succeed and maybe even thrive a little but i do believe that the big you know and barnes and noble is basically the only one mm -hmm. left i don't think they're long for this world i mean yeah. I, I i think they they've got some serious serious issues well you mentioned amazon and amazon their business model was well you know what it is and then and then all of a sudden they're in the bricks and mortar business though yeah, selling yeah. books i, I, I don't know? get that i don't get that at all you know what if you sell an ebook on Amazon, which we have, you know, most of our books are uh, available on Amazon as an ebook, uh, you don't, they're, they're not even storing your product. I mean, they're, all they're doing is pressing a button if someone gives them money and then they take 70% of the profit. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's insane. Right. And, and, you know, think, think of the power that Amazon is wielding as far as just the dissemination of information. You know, they can, effectively censor what they want now there I, I don't think they are but what happens if you know one day amazon goes look this particular po political point of view i'm not going to publish anymore i mean the amount of power that the that mm. that has been given to amazon is really frightening yeah. and um it, it and it is stifling the exchange of ideas i really believe that 
No, it's all it's all scary. Do you know who a uh, budding author is that uh, I've read three chapters of what is shaping up to be an excellent book, and I couldn't put it down? Do you know I who that would know. be? Okay. Does it rhyme with Smeeve Masterbill? <laughs> it could. It could. <laughs> I'm sure he's thrilled that I now, brought Howard, this up. No. Uh, yeah, Howard, why would you do this? Why? Because <laughs> it's well, what I know, do. We know a publisher, Steve. Yeah, right, Steve. We know a no, publisher. No, no. And look, no, and it's not, believe me, I'm the, I would not want to bring this up the way that Howard has brought it up, but I, um, I, I, I what am I going to say now, Howard, after you've done this to me? Especially but, um, with all the money he already owes you. <laughs> That's right. You owe me money now from 45 years ago. Now you're going to owe me. Look, I, no, what, um, I shared this with Howard, and actually there are only a few people that I have, uh, I mean, I, let take a look at this and, and i don't know you, you sort of get it's been in the back of my mind for a while that i've had a lot of terrific experiences you know uh not not just in chicago which is where the wealth of my career has been but uh, when i started working in tv david rick, rick i was worked i worked where they did the mike douglas show remember mike oh, douglas cool. show? yeah sure I worked at that station, and every day I'd be on the elevator, and there'd be some new—I mean, megastar on it, like John like Lennon, the Jenna Yoko, right? <laughs> oh, sure. Oh, yeah. They would, and they'd come in, and they'd be there for a week, and 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 they'd host every day of the week, and then Sammy Davis would come in the next week, or Amazing. Richard Pryor, or uh, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Stewart, and and I had all these encounters, and thinking how fortunate I was to have had exposure like that uh, early on i was in my 20s and all these people were just uh, there in the building and i sort of learned a lot from watching them you sort of learn how to behave and not behave you sort of learn uh, one thing i did learn was the bigger the star the nicer they were yeah it was those b level c level d level stars that thought they were something yeah that uh, were just maniacs so you kind of learn how to treat people. But anyway, I, I started jotting down things about that related to that, and I thought I had a book idea, and I mentioned it to Howard, and Howard well, encouraged me. Well, and Rick, and Dave, Rick and Dave will even buy you lunch if you want to talk. Now, it'll have to be after social distancing, of course. Right. No, that, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> hey, I, I strongly encourage you to write it, Steve, because you have lived an interesting life, and there's... Uh, there's a lot of people that would be interested in that. Yeah, we'd and and I, I, if you just want to show it I to us, we'd so. be happy to look at it too. Well, like Howard said, I don't have Howard. I do have like about what five or six pages I gave you, right? Something yeah, like maybe a little more. Yeah, and I really and, thing and is, I was serious. I did encourage you because I thought it was very, very good and very interesting. You know, guys. Well, here's a, everybody here's the thing has I'm hoping a story. Rick can help me. Yeah, yeah, they do. And you can find something interesting about everybody's life, I think. I used to find that out when we'd go to the Taste of Chicago. Yeah. And we'd set up a, we'd set up a table and we'd autograph uh, pictures. And there'd be people that come by and they'd just tell you some interesting story about their lives. Yeah. But Rick, Rick and Dave, maybe you can help us with this. How can, I got, I wrote down these five pages or so. And I, I, I sort of treat it like when the muse comes to visit me. 
And the muse sat down with me one day and inspired me to just write. And I was just writing and writing. And then the muse left. (laughs) (laughs) And And I didn't pick up a pen again. Howard, I haven't gotten a whole lot farther than what I sent you. I don't know the discipline of writing. What is, how, how do you, well, the, uh, you know, the, I'm just sort of doing it. The good news is that marijuana is now legal. You know, like, uh, <laughs> that does not help. Yeah. Trust me, it <laughs> yeah, right. does not help. Well, you, you have to figure out the exact balance of how much you take. Does but, uh, not help. Uh, <laughs> no. But you know, you guys honestly, have, I mean, to t- tell you the truth, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I write every day. And so what I do is uh, first thing in the morning, I sit down and, you know, I I read the news. I I jot little notes about things that I've seen and I write a blog and on my blog, I'm just kind of exercising my writing brain. And then after I've done that, I usually have some ideas of whatever else that I'm working on that comes to me while I do that. It's something about the actual process of writing that will make you come up with more ideas. You just sit down and do it. Yeah. And, 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 and you don't have to wait for the muse because the muse will just show up once you start working. And, and don't worry about punctuation at this point yeah, or whatever. Right, just exactly. it. Just, just, just stream of consciousness. Just vomit it on the paper. Right. And we can, you know, certainly, you can craft a story after it's on paper. And um, I, you know, just get it out of your head. And if you don't feel inspired, for, try to force yourself for 20 minutes just to yeah. to write something. You just get, know? Just spend uh, a well, little it, bit of every day, just yeah. a little a little tiny, uh, like 10 minutes a day. You'd be shocked. Well, wow. How does it usually work when people approach you about books? Do they have a whole book in their hand or do they have a, an idea? What? How does it usually start when they come to you? They usually have it completed when they come to us. Or the first uh, draft. Is uh, the first draft, yeah. And then we, you know, work with them and, and help them fix it and and help them, you know, come up with a marketing plan and that sort of thing. And then we publish it. So, but usually the first draft is done. I ha- We've had several books, though, where we've helped people along the way uh, throughout the entire process. Like with Landecker's book, um, I went out to his house and recorded him uh, telling stories. You know, just mm. tell me the story about such and such. And and then I had put it all together for him. Now, that took, you know, a long time. It's probably not the most effective <laughs> way to do it. But I did it because I knew he didn't really write. You know, he wasn't, he doesn't type. Let's put it that way. So he didn't right, really right. write. And yeah. so, but I also produced his show for 10 years. So I literally knew every story, <laughs> you know. So I could mm-hmm. ask him, say, tell this story or tell that story or tell that story. And he found it easy to do uh, that that way. And a lot of pe- and Mitch Michaels is another one. He's a was a rock jock in Chicago. He wrote a book where he just told told it into a a tape recorder and paid someone to transcribe it, which is another way to do it. You can, you know, if you have a little handheld uh, tape recorder, or you have one on your phone. Yeah, right. You can do it all right on your phone. Uh, you know, I yeah. wrote. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say that I think Rick's, that advice was, you know, really good that, that we do. It, you know, we're a small enough company. You are talking to the two principal. Right. It, we are the company. <laughs> we are the company. <laughs> so we have a lot of flexibility. Yeah. You know, when somebody does come to us and go, well, you know, I've got this idea. I've got this. We can literally give them, you know, 
individualized attention right and, and mm-hmm. coax them along and and, and which you're and not going to get at random house right or uh, uh, <laughs> you know it's simon and schuster yeah. and it's but you're not you're probably not going to sell as many books there either right but yeah. uh it's um i but again just steve just get it on paper or on a screen or however you're you know what however the process is that you're writing and uh, when you start telling the stories uh you're going to remember yeah. other stories and i mean just having yeah. talked to you just for a little while here i know you've got great stories yeah yeah they're there and and uh and they have a way of shaping you more than you realize and yeah. sort of you know making it helping you see the light I don't know. I, I, maybe I will. I will continue to do it. I just don't have the discipline. You're talking to two of the most undisciplined uh, people in the world. <laughs> how, how, Howard and I are good at arranging and thinking about stuff, and then especially me, when it comes to time to do it, it takes a discipline. You have to treat it, I guess, like a job. It's like a situation. job, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and sometimes it sucks. A job that you don't get paid for. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And That's something the that we're in right now, Howard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something that neither one of us want is a job. <laughs> yeah, I wrote, I wrote about, before Steve and I, I've never showed it to anybody, but I wrote about five chapters. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it's once again, I get back to saying it sounds egotistical, but, it, it, you know, it's not about me. It's about things that have happened to me and things that, that shaped me that I hope other people could relate to. And one of the chapters that uh, we talked about uh, earlier was Peak in Illinois. Uh, we talked yeah. about on your show where I was from, and they had a bad racist nickname for the high school. And, uh, you know, I, I talk about the embarrassment of that. So I thought that was... You know, kind of an interesting story, but it's fun to write even if you don't do anything with it, you know? Well, you also have a ton of great stories, Howard. I mean, uh, having covered uh, sports in Chicago for maybe the most exciting era of Chicago sports with, you know, between the the Bulls and the Bears and the Cubs and the, the Blackhawks and, you know, you name you it. You the White Sox. Yeah, that was that was intentional. <laughs> Greatest uh, but you know you have all you have all those stories too. And we published Chet Kopic's book, and Chet Kopic's book wasn't about Chet; it was about you know the uh, all this the things that he saw, the people he met, the things that uh, happened. You know, while he was uh, covering it. Have you guys thought of writing one together? I mean, that could be you know you could be two undisciplined people together, which always works out great. And then we'll never uh, get it done. Yeah, <laughs> but, you can, but you can blame the other guy. It's all about the blame part of it. It's not accomplishing anything. It's five thousand pages long. <laughs> yeah. That'd be a we, good chapter. You know, <laughs> on discipline, we would be like the we'd be like that piano player who's at the who's making everybody sick by going. And then I wrote, and then he started tinkling, <laughs> and then I wrote. <laughs> it would be endless stories. But that that's an interesting idea, Howard. I never thought about that. No, it, but, it is uh, a good idea. We certainly do. When do you want to start? Uh, <laughs> next Tuesday. How about Wednesday? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Oh, three weeks from Wednesday. It'll be fine. You got the holiday coming. Go to the barber shop and Jose Cardinal will get you guys going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll talk right. about it. Now, see, now, now Rick, what inspired yeah. the book Every Cub Ever? So uh, I have a, a little sickness, uh, a cub sickness uh, that really from childhood, I've always loved the cubs. And I started a website around 
2008 called Just One Bad Century. And the idea of Just One Bad Century was uh, because it was going to be the 100th anniversary of the Cubs not winning the World Series. And I really believed in 2008 that they were going to win it all. So I started writing about the history. So it was all there in a nice encapsuled package for the 100-year anniversary. And then, of course, they didn't win it. And I kept kept doing the website, and I kept writing. And one year, I decided to feature uh, Cubs on their birthday. So, like, you know, January 1st, uh, all the Cubs that had a birthday. Well, at the end of the year, I realized, well, doesn't everybody have a birthday? I must have written about every single Cub. And it turned out that I had, there were like 150 that I had not written about. So I went back and I found them and I wrote about them. And then I had a book. Now, it took me, you know, 10, ten, years. ten years to write that book. But uh, And let's be honest, time could have been spent a little wiser, I think, than those 10 years. But uh. when, I turned it, when I turned in the book to Dave, he said to me, have you ever kissed a girl? <laughs> Which I think kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you uh, ever gotten away from a ballpark and done yeah, anything else? Right. Uh, well, and even as a cub-hating Sox fan, it really is a brilliant book. I mean, there is... Rick has a wonderful way. First of all, he's a great writer, but also he finds some little piece of minutia about many of these players that, you know, and a lot of these guys were not so nice people. Uh, Racists and killers and, you know, kidnappers. uh, And yeah, uh, but it's it really isn't for and we've sold and it knock on wood. It's done very well. Um, But but for a Cub fan who. You know, it's not Tolstoy. The, but, you know, but yeah. it's, you, the you geekiest could... part of the book, guys, the geekiest part of the book is I went through uh, history from 1871 to present, and I looked at the the, the most uh, dramatic historical events in every year, and then I went to see how the Cubs played that day. <laughs> right. The and... Titanic sinks, and the Cubs <laughs> right. lost three to two to the Reds. Exactly. <laughs> and that's all in the book, too. <laughs> so if you really want to be a nerd, I mean, we're going full-fledged nerd. That's what every Cub ever is. That's pretty cool, though. I mean, just to be able – you probably not – the things that you learned, did it turn you off about – the cubs and liking them so much or being a, or or did it make you like them more did you I feel it, more attached to them i think it made me like them more uh because i yeah. cuz with the, first of all there's something about a franchise that goes 100 years without winning you know that it's never going to happen again uh the fact that it happened at all is you know a giant mystery why did it happen and that's one of the reasons why i started investigating it in the first place like there must be some you know, horrible karma that, uh, you know, God, you know, smited them. And actually, there are some really horrible things in Cubs history. Like, for instance, the institution of the color barrier was brought about by the Cubs. I mean, there was a player named Mm -hmm. Cap Anson, who was a Hall of Famer, Mm -hmm. who would refuse to play if there were any black players on the other team. He wouldn't play. And so, uh, and he was the biggest star in the league. And so to keep him happy, they wouldn't let black players play. And that is where the color barrier started, thanks to Cap Anson and the Cubs. Mm. Not a proud moment. No question. You know, part of, uh, go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say, you said that uh, you don't think that uh, there'll be a 100-year drought for any other team again in history. And I'm not sure about that because if you think about what has to go right for a team to win it all, it's, it's incredible. I mean, you look at how many years now since the Seattle Mariners have made the playoffs. And, and yeah, that's so true. much has to happen. And then when you get there, you look at the Cubs World Series. They still go seven games. Yeah, the Indians right. hit a miraculous game-tying home run, oh, and they have to go extra innings in which anything can happen. So that one yeah. came yeah. so close to slipping away. And then look what's happened to them since then. They're on a you know slight d- decline. And yeah. uh, because your window is so hundred. small, yeah, they're working on the next hundred. Although well, it's short, the Indians, they haven't won since what? The Indians have got to be in the seventy-year ever. No, no, they they, they won in they won in like the nineteen forties. Yeah, yeah, uh, really. Okay, Lou Boudreau. Uh, so yeah, I agree. I think that it's very possible that there's going to be another, especially in baseball too, where it's the haves and the have-nots. You know, the have-nots. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, well, although the Royals ended up being great, so they did. They they had well, their moment, but you know, it reminds me when Dick Duran was the head coach of the Chicago Bears, and things didn't go great when he was here. But he's really a smart football man. He knows the game inside and out. He's a really decent guy, and I can remember him saying time after time, "People don't realize how hard it is to win a game just on Sunday." against any team and he's right about that especially in the nfl with parody it's 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 an accomplishment so you think about how hard it is to win you know a game it's easier in baseball because the worst team is going to win 60 65 games but to put it all together for a championship in any sport is is a phenomenal accomplishment yeah and miraculous so the bears won what six games last year was it six or what? No, they were eight and eight. Weren't no, they? eight. Yeah, I think it was so, eight. Yeah. So they were had a fantastic year. They won <laughs> yeah, eight games. You know how hard true. it is to, to win eight games? Yeah, that's true. It is. It's hard to be mediocre. Yeah. Not really, Rick and I have done it for years. <laughs> we've, done it, we've done it in several different fields. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, you need a mediocre advertising agency, you come to us, guys. <laughs> hey, David, I'm going to make you feel good in a minute. I'm going to talk to you about the White Sox and oh, their okay. World Series in 2005. So, uh, But you know what that means right now, don't you? Probably a break, huh? Probably a break. We'll be right back. Already? Already. Wow. As I said, we'll be right back. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, it's part two of our look at cars that define a decade with our man in the field, Roger Rexroad. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and our man in the field, Roger Rexroad, for part two of this very special episode of the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. And friends and everyone at Opie Shows want you to make sure to wash your hands. And if you're still one of those people who don't wash their hands after they use the bathroom, please 
do that now? That's something you should have been doing anyway. I... Cover your mouth when you cough. Yeah, I know. You can save the world by sitting on your ass at home. You cannot afford to miss this opportunity. You won't get another one. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. Stay home. You will be saving the world. We are back. This is Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. The Minutia Men, Rick Kempfer and David Stern. Hey, David, how many shows do you guys do on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, and, and how many shows have you done? Uh, well, we've, we, Rick and I have two shows. We have Minutia Men and the Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. Uh, but Rick even has a third show. He does a soccer show called Free Kicks. So collectively, mm. we do three shows yeah. on the network. Um, and do you think I told you they make me feel like an underachiever? Right. <laughs> yeah, but do we have an office? No. Do we have I, a parking I, space? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, and I think we've done a hundred and eighty-five-ish on the. I don't know, Rick. You're Something the, like that. Yeah. Like one eighty-five yeah. on the regular show, and then the interview show we've done. I don't know. So yeah, a couple hundred shows. Yeah, yeah that's you know, that's it, an amazing number. It's interesting you you mentioned soccer because. Yeah. You know, my kids played soccer, and I used to go to soccer games all the time, but I never really took to it or enjoyed it. I never played as a kid is right. probably the main reason. But within the last couple of weeks, I have grown to appreciate – I'm so starved for real competition. I know what competition. you're going to say. <laughs> and Arsenal's no, no, playing no, Tottenham. No. I got to watch. <laughs> no, no. I think most recently, isn't there a women's soccer league that has just started oh, yeah. up uh, playing – I remember seeing them a, a couple days ago. I got yeah, into the women's game. Women's soccer is huge, uh, I mean, in America, believe I it or mean, not. I mean, that took, and that got my attention uh, in ways, I mean, I'm just, I started looking at the tennis reopen, they call it. <laughs> there, there are no, no spectators, but yeah, they're tennis bad. matches. I don't even know where they come from, but they call it the reopen, 2020 reopen. I watched Korean I mean, baseball to... the other day. I, you know, it's oh, we're, we're getting to that That's point. That's brutal. Yeah. yeah. I lost 200 bucks that. at a I... Korean game. <laughs> <laughs> how how would you like to how would you like to have to call that game? Oh yeah. boy. That's brutal. Yeah. Yeah, you you know you'd wow. say something racist by mistake. <laughs> oh, forget it. Yeah. yeah. Um but but uh, you know, that's what we're it boils down to that. That and soccer and tennis now are the well, only things we got going. The reason I love soccer is because I, I grew up in Germany and my my father and mm. and mother, you know, both German and and that was the game I was taught as a kid. So um in the 70s here in America, nobody played soccer and yeah. I I remember teaching my my friends how to play the game. They had never heard of it before. And then I played it in high school and you know, it wasn't very hard to make the varsity team. Uh, playing soccer. Um, but, uh, you know, I followed the sport my whole life and my kids all played it. And my youngest son uh, is a senior in high school this year and he's really into it. So that's why soccer is a sport that I, I follow. What do you think is the biggest obst obstacle to, to it catching on uh, across the country as a sport? You know, I, I think people our age and older dave and i are in our 50s it's never gonna happen it's not gonna happen 
Yeah, it's it it's past. The time has passed. But for younger people like your kids and my kids, um, you know, I think soccer is legitimately one of their top five sports in America. Did you ever think about uh, being a place kicker? I was a place <laughs> kicker for football. Were you? Yeah, I did it for yeah, a, for yeah. my freshman year in high school. I did it. Really? Yeah. And he gut-wrenching horrible misses to lose no, a game no no my longest field goal was 30 yards but <laughs> they, they didn't exactly bring me on a lot uh, but uh, yeah i did now, it for a whole season were you the only guy like in the league kicking soccer style i or, was or was that the, that had to have been weird just to see that it, it was weird and i was a little guy and that's really what stopped me from going back because when these guys come charging at you, they're not little guys. Even when you're a freshman in high school, I was scared to death. So that's uh, that ended my football career. Just think what it's like for a professional football kicker in the NFL oh because God. the other players on the team, they look at you like you're you're not part of the team. You're not a you're not an NFL player because <laughs> right. you take your you take your footballs down to the other corner on the other, you know, by a goalpost, and you kick all by yourself, and yep. and you don't have to be involved in practice. You don't have to be in shape, and they like you okay as long as you make every field goal. And the second yeah. you don't, man, it's bad. So it's yeah, the yeah, greatest Scott, job what, in the world and the worst. Name? Cody Parkey, yeah, no, Cody oh, yeah. yes, Boy. that poor guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean it. It it's it's brutal, uh, but if you. Make them all like Robbie Gold was for a while, or Kevin Butler yeah. back in the day with the Bears. Although it didn't matter if Kevin Butler made it made any, because the Bears were so good that you know yeah. they're going to win anyway. If and they he scored was more than points, a kicker on that team, wasn't he? Was doesn't he like he one of the guys? He was beloved, I think. Didn't he was. McMahon, wasn't he a big friend, a good friend of McMahon and those guys? Yeah, he was. He was. He was more like a, a typical football player, and you know. When you got a nickname like Butthead, yeah, of course, yeah, right, exactly. You fit in with the guys, you know. Then, then, then everything's all right. Um, I wanted to hey, bring you up. You know what I'm curious about? Uh, let me just add one thing, Howard. Just, just I'm wondering, whatever happened to Bartman? Is he still gone? Is Bartman? Uh, is he back? Is, is he back living in this part of the world? Or is he still gone? What's what? How did that end? The whole Bartman, uh, you know, being excommunicated from life in uh, Chicago. A good friend of ours is uh, Dane Placco, who uh, is a a reporter at Channel 32. And he has stalked (laughs) Bartman on several occasions and, and, you know, even talked to him once. Yeah, and he... And Bartman has and it's no it's never happening. Right. He's never coming out. Yeah, I think he still lives. And, I mean, in, I think he lives on the North Shore somewhere, like Highland Park or whatever. Yeah, um, huh. yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, he got a rod. That's in the, the most. Am, that's the most amazing story. Yeah, that's I not mean, a, you, another. You mentioned the. You mentioned the Bears. The Cub kicker. fans are not proud of. That's one of them for sure. But there's no other person I can think of, who has to just leave and take up a d- different identity even players don't have to go through that yeah, yeah that's true players that players that blow ball games don't go through that it was hell it was a, a life-changing event for him but in, you know in my mind you know who the villain was uh moises halu yes the way, yes his reaction was yeah. just ridiculous yeah. yeah 
Moises Alou playing left field. He's a he's a veteran. He's a leader on the team, and he throws a tantrum out there like a little kid. And I think that 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 led to the team melting down around him. If he'd shown some leadership and just you know shrugged his shoulders and gone back in the field, I think things might have turned out differently. But there you go. That's cub like. That's yeah. You know that's it's, why they can't couldn't win. Yep. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to make me seem even older and more fossilized than I am. Wiser. You're wiser. <laughs> Wisdom. <the> oh, <laughs> uh, is that what it is? Yeah. And David's going to appreciate this. Howard, you and I talked about this a little bit. Uh, when when we, we knew we were going to have these guys on and we were going to talk like this, it made me think about the first, like my first baseball glove. Remember we were talking about that a little bit? Like yeah. Your, do you remember sure. your first glove? My first glove has a White Sox connection. All right. Well, so and, what year? Let me let me see if I can. Uh, oh no. Let me. This uh, is so old and Jurassic. Okay. You, you <laughs> right, right. I was I was a kid. Now let me tell you, when I was little, uh, one of the joys of life was collecting S and H green stamps. <laughs> yeah. You ever heard of that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you ever heard sure. of that? Oh yeah, we yeah. had okay. books. My parents, we had books. <laughs> yes, yeah. I don't think yeah. we ever. Got it was. Any it was. It was. It was like the Chuck E. Cheese for adults because you yeah, get right. this thing and, and you go and you pick out you pick out the item you want yeah. from behind the the counter. So I used to beg my mother, and it were associated with grocery stores. Like you yeah. spent enough, then you got stamps. So you were really paying for the stamps, and and you just would collect them. And I would go to the S&H Green store. You with me, Howard? Yeah. You hear this? Okay. Uh, what did you think? I left? You're going to actually. Yeah, I thought you. <laughs> no, I'm waiting for you to say, no, I never heard of it. Because <laughs> you, you want to be, be eternally 25 years old. No, we collected uh, never them heard too. of anything before. Okay. Uh, so I had my eye on this glove because it was right in the range of the books collected and I finally got my first baseball glove. It was not, it was actually a catcher's mitt. And this catcher played for the White Sox, and it was my prized possession because I had this White Sox catcher's mitt. And it made me want to be a catcher for a while because I thought the mitt was so cool. This player played in the 50s, maybe in the 60s. He was probably the catcher on the Go-Go White Sox team that won the World Series. Who do you think I'm talking about? Uh, I don't know. The clock is ticking. Well, this is, see, I knew it was going to be so It wasn't Moose, no, Moose Conroy was not a catcher. No, no, no. This this guy, he had a name that didn't seem like a ball player's name to me. His name was Sherm Lawler. Oh, Sherm Lawler. All right, sure. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Sherm Lawler, well, that was my first baseball glove, catcher's mitt, and I, I'd give anything if I could find it now. I, uh, it's got to be somewhere. Mine was a I Paul never would Blair. throw anything like that. I had a Paul Blair. Oh, my, yeah. My first glove was a Paul Blair glove. Wow. That's yeah. a much cooler glove to have. That Paul Blair was. Yeah, I think I made really 1,200 cool errors with that uh, mitt in my head. <laughs> Mine was a Franz Beckenbauer uh, <laughs> soccer ball. You know? <laughs> <laughs> a Carl Heinz Granitza, a Pato Marchetic. 
<laughs> Carl Heinz Granitza, he was a cool guy. Willie Roy was the coach. Yeah. That's when yeah. you're talking about soccer. I mean, the sting was huge then. But, oh, yeah. uh, you know, a baseball glove was your... I mean, it was a it was a prized possession. I had an old one from my dad. It was a they were both Rawlings, uh, the one that replaced it. And I can remember getting the new glove and you know getting the Vaseline out and mm. treating it and rubbing it in and breaking it in, putting a ball in it, rubber bands around it, you know, to get it to you know be just right and and have the right feel. And then I still made errors. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, I was I was a zero tool player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey David, I promised you that I was going to say something about the White Sox. Uh, yeah. Very quickly, make you feel good. We were talking about the difficulty of winning a World Series. One of the greatest experiences, one of the greatest things that I ever saw was the 2005 team winning the World Series. They went 11 and one in the playoffs, but the experience that I remember was I got to ride on one of the double-decker buses in the in the celebration that, that started on the south side at, at Sox Park and then wound through the neighborhoods and then turned into the skyscrapers down Dearborn, north toward Wacker Drive and the ticker tape parade. And it was just unbelievable because I maintain, because it had been so long since a Chicago team had won the World Series that... Those weren't just Sox fans that were cheering. There were Cub fans, and and everybody was happy. But the thing that I remember, David, was that I talked to Jerry Reinsdorf backstage before the organized part of the celebration up on Wacker, and Jerry's got a great way with words, and I, I think the world of him, and he said, you know, he said, did you notice all these people out on their yards in the front, waving at us, tears in their eyes. Yeah. Most that can't afford to go to a game will never go yeah. to a game, and yet it's a shared experience with somebody that might be a multimillionaire and own a skybox. And that is what I remember. That's what a championship can do to a city well, yeah, as far as unifying yeah, it's you know? a great equalizer, you know. Uh, and I think more—I think baseball more than anything has that kind of ability to provide this social equity. If you want to, you know, if you want to get into it. And yeah, I—and I, I remember my my twins were born in December of 2005, and my wife and I went to uh, Game One, and she was as big as a house, and my wife is like. I don't know, four yeah. eleven. Dave, she was glowing. <laughs> okay, she was glowing, but she was round. I mean, she was four eleven both ways because she was pregnant with twins, you know. And uh, and I couldn't go to the parade because she wasn't feeling great that day. And I'm like, wow, you know. Granted, it would be a great story to tell my twins when they're twenty that dad went to the parade and mom had to go to the hospital by herself. But I ended up missing the parade. But I watched it on television. And and you're right. I mean, it was. It was a very emotional thing to watch, and I'm I'm a Sox fan. The reason why I'm a Sox fan is my dad came from Germany in 1949, and he uh, lived he lived in Nazi Germany. He was half Jewish, as well as my mom. So they lived they lived through the war. He was in a prisoner of or he was in slave labor camp. Anyways, to make a long story short, which actually it's still going to be a long story, <laughs> but uh, he worked at Goldblatt's. Do you remember Goldblatt's right on? Sure. Was it like? Broadway and Wilson-ish or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. And his and his first friend, uh, who basically taught him English, was this diehard White Sox fan who hated the Cubs, like, w just with every fiber of his being. Mm. 
I think my dad learned English by saying by learning phrases like Hank Sauer, you suck. You know, I mean, that, uh, and I, you know, and my dad had you know died when I was 13, but I still have baseball with my dad, you know, and it was very emotional that, that and I think, you know, that for me, that 2005 White Sox team will probably resonate with me more than any sporting team. And, and you mentioned Jerry Reinsdorf and Dave and I have met Jerry Reinsdorf through Rich King when his, his book came out and there's a. I think Jerry does really appreciate the everyday fan. I think he, uh, you know, most most of your owners don't anymore. Let's be honest, uh, but he he remembers the experience of being that fan when he was a kid watching. Well, was it Brooklyn the Dodgers? Yeah. I think it was. Yes, it was. Yeah, uh, and that that was and, one. And of, he, you could just see his face light up when he would tell stories about seeing games as a kid. And I think that White Sox championship meant more to him than those Bulls championships yeah. did. All six of them probably combined. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Uh, when I when I was in Houston when they won and they clinched it, I got to interview live on the air out on the field by second base. And Jerry was holding the, the World Series trophy. And, you know, he and Eddie Einhorn grew up buddies in Brooklyn – Brooklyn Dodger fans. They were baseball fans. They so they were they were that average fan. And for them to be standing there after all they'd accomplished in business, holding that World Series trophy, uh, yeah, I agree, meant more to them than anything that they would ever experience. So for me to get to be that close to it was was really okay. cool. So that was yeah, it was an emotional experience. The whole thing. The, the, that's chapter six in the book, yeah, right there. Right, that's chapter cha- six in the book. The, the yeah. okay, Howard book. Yeah. Uh, All right. So you know, yeah. we, we talked about Dane Placco, and I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble or Dane's going to get in trouble for saying this. So he was a you know he's a big Cub fan, and he was in the locker room when the Cubs won. He took like every champagne cork that he was able to find on the floor, and he's not selling it. He's giving it to his buddies. Did you steal anything, Howard? You could have had a, you, had a, you could have gotten out. Well, think of the mementos that you had within <laughs> your grasp there. Yeah, I don't know about stealing it, but I do have a uh, an empty champagne bottle from one of the Bulls okay, championships. Yeah. I, I think it was the last one in in uh, in Utah, and I have a pair of Dennis Rodman sunglasses. Oh, uh, he hmm. always wore these were Oakley's and they were like uh, tiger print uh, sunglasses, wraparounds. And I found them and I, I showed them to him and said, hey, could these yours? And he said, that's all right. I got a lot of them. Keep them. So I, I've got those. So I, I got some cool stuff like that. But uh, that'll be in chapter eight. Didn't steal it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, I know that Dan Roan, he got up on a ladder and he cut down the net in Utah. So he's got oh, that he's got that man. net. Yeah. Well, he is smart. I would have gotten caught. That's why <laughs> I was always scared at, at things like that. Hey Steve. Well David David and Rick can't see you right. You can't see Howard now as we talk, right? No, we're no. All we can't see each other. So you don't see him with those leopard shorts and the leopard sunglasses on <laughs> no but thank you for putting i'm that the only one who has for the rest of my life i appreciate that well, thank I've, you well i don't want to have to deal with it alone i'm trying to <laughs> give i you, do have an empty champagne picture bottle here. here you do yeah, it's not the same one, but I emptied it out while we were talking. <laughs> That's how you get through these things. Hey, Steve, ask yeah. them the question that you heard on a radio show recently. We want to take this way, way down. 
low level. Okay. Um, ask them the question oh, that man. you heard on the Dan Lebetard show recently. Man, Howard always goes <laughs> places that you don't yeah, want to go. Just makes me crazy. Just makes me crazy that he just will throw stuff out there and then but put it right, on maybe me. the maybe the collaborative it, book it, idea is not a good idea <laughs> no it's not he throws stuff against the wall and then wants me to get it off the wall right after to, he's to throwing the, the mess on the yes wall. well you start you just, brought up the story so they may not yeah, want to go there but i was yeah nobody wants to go there including me and now you brought this up but you wanted me to answer it yeah but i didn't want to put them through this, what's wrong with you? I feel like De Niro. What's the matter with you? What's the matter with you? What was, you know, uh, well, anyway, I, uh, uh, and by the way, I'm talking about the people that I've met. I met the real Jake LaMotta Ooh. Uh, and saw and saw the movie Raging Bull with Jake LaMotta and Vicky. Wow. In, See, in, now that, I mean, that in, really in, is a great story. Uh, I thought that, yeah, that a great you gotta story? write this book. You, you, this book. You, you know what he kept saying to me? Seriously, you know what he'd say to me? He'd say, hey, want a juju bean? Uh, no, 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 no. He was, he was full of jokes. Joke after joke after joke was, was his thing. And he looks at me, he said, oh, I almost punched you. And I said, why? He said, because you look just like Sugar Ray. Always smile. Sugar, always smile. But I never, but I never wanted to hit him because I was afraid I'd get diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's the only thing I remember. Only thing I remember about Jake it's a Lamotta. short chapter, Jake but it's a great chapter. <laughs> uh, he had a million of them. He had a million of them. Um, have they forgotten that well, you want me to ask him this foul thing? Um, no, I listened to the Lebertard show, and he asked a question of uh, somehow it came up. Uh, I guess among the guys that were there in the studio, as a bizarre question. And, and from that point on, Lebertar was asking everybody that was being interviewed for like a week the same awful question. And the question was either a yes or no answer to it. And it was just surprising who falls into the yes or no category. But the question was, do you pee in the shower? <laughs> uh, wow. I, I do not. Yeah. I, I never have. Uh, I may be... In a dorm scenario uh, in college, maybe, but generally speaking, I uh, that that is not a uh, that's not a thing for me. Yeah, I, I'm way too scared of my wife. Yeah, I just uh, <laughs> you know if if there's some sort of a, a trace elements not, there, right? right. Uh, she would track me down, and she would. Right. My wife would, would have little vials. Uh, She'd yeah. be like CSI. Yeah. You know, she would do analysis. Was, yeah. <laughs> a blue light. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. right, exactly. But it's just it's just surprising how many people say yes. Yeah. With no, as, as if it's ridiculous not to. Some people said, Oh yeah, I'll wait till I have to go to go to the shower. I mean oh it, it, it's just amazing. Is that a sports? Uh, and I think talk that was show? I don't know what it is, but yeah. Howard don't get quiet now after you want to ask him. <laughs> Howard can't believe that you right, asked right. a question like that. Aren't you glad that I made him ask that? <laughs> now, so that I was part of our phone conversation. Sitting down. Dave, oh. we don't need to go further. <laughs> <Now> you, wow. <laughs> Dave's got a whole dissertation ready for Not you. Not often, but you know, depending upon how tired I am, you I, have, will, I will uh, sit. I will sit. You and, have wandered into Dave's right, favorite right, topic right. of conversation. You guys need to take another break because this is going to take a long time. <laughs> Sitting down in the shower? 
<laughs> oh, this deteriorated. I knew it would, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot, yeah, Steve. Thanks a lot. <laughs> the crap that I bring up uh, from our phone conversation, and he's like, don't you keep anything no, to yourself? That, well, there must be a fascinating question to ask. I don't even know how they got around to that. But um, people are always uh, surprising you with uh, the funky things that they will do. <laughs> it is true. That's a throwback word to the 60s, the funky. Mm. Funky. Hey, right. guys, is there yeah. anything besides that that we should have asked you? No. I, we were curious <laughs> what you were going to ask us. <laughs> like, we would never interview us. Yeah. Right. Oh. But, <laughs> I tell you one thing. I, no, no, no. I tell you one thing that I'd be curious to know, just to get your opinion about. And Howard and I talked about this. Now, now you both. Now, now, David, are you more of the advertising world than Rick, or, or in, in your past? Um, in, well, I don't like to brag. I do have a or, master's degree yeah, in advertising. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> well, twice uh, as educated as me. Uh, uh, no, I mean, I, when we had our advertising agency, we were we were both we were more of the copywriting type of. Part of right, it. we're uh, the creative guys. But, um, but no, I think the advertise we're both of the same advertising ilk. I think. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. I think we're the same. He does, does have the master's it, degree, though. Yeah. That's well, a show into uh, itself now about how that yeah. world is changing because it just came no. out this week that um, I think 180 big sponsors just dumped Facebook. Right. Yeah. 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 Because of yeah, all this the, is not a good time to be advertising anywhere, really. I wouldn't want to be throwing money at anything other than podcasts. Everyone yes. knows a podcast is a good way to advertise. That's the way to go. Um, I'm going to ask you uh, one one final thing because I, I always like this question. Uh, Gene Siskel, the great movie critic that Steve and I worked with, um, brilliant talent and a great guy, he used to close interviews with this. Now, wait, 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 wait before you ask him. Yes. You see what he's doing to me? You guys see what he's doing to me? I'm cutting you out. He has me he has me ask a question, do you pee in the shower? Right. Now <laughs> the urination now he's question gonna, goes to Steve. Yeah, then, now he's gonna come up he's gonna come up with some question that is so heady profound. And thoughtful. Yeah. Oh, and profound. <laughs> the existential. Yeah, I can just feel it. Someone's yes. got to be the good After, guy, Steve. Someone's got to be the bad yeah. guy. <laughs> and he wants me to ask. Right, just remember this. He had me ask you, do you pee in the shower? Yeah. Now, let's, let's, now let's hear his fancy man question. Been, go on, Howard. Been, his $8, the, the $8 word question. <laughs> yes. Go on, Howard. Go, go. It's all I'm yours. I'm an instigator. Go, go ask your question. I'm an instigator. Okay. Yeah. Can I answer my question, Steve? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. It's a good one. Uh, to both of you, what do you know for sure? Well, that is a good one. It's not as good as pee in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the answer is not as easy. Easily, uh, what so? Re, re, what, what is the question again? I forgot. What, it's what, what do, do we you, know? What do, do you know pee in the shower? Sure. Yeah. What, <laughs> what do you know, do you for, know sure? for sure? Um, there are no wrong answers. I think I think change, uh, and I think that we're, certainly as we're talking about what's going on in the world right now. I know for sure that what's happening today is very possibly going to be completely different than what's happening next week. Um, and at least up till November. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I think, 
I think what I know is I don't know, you know, right? That just that we are in a real big state of flux right now and um, very uh, disconcerting in a lot of ways. What I always say to my boys is that the one thing that you know for sure is kindness always pays. That if you're kind to somebody, that there's no downside to that ever. And so there's no reason to not do it. Well, your answer is better than mine. Yeah, I'm a writer. No, they were they were both very good. Oh, thank you. And thanks. Th- th- that was thanks, Howard. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for Steve? doing that to me. Steve. Yeah. Steve, do you have a final question? Thanks, thanks for making me look like. Uh, uh, <laughs> I actually I do. I I, 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 uh, I do have a question for both David and Rick knowing that we're going through these times of COVID especially, and it feels like an eternity that our life has changed. Do you see anything that's going to stay as routine once this thing is over? You think there's anything about our life as it is now that people will adapt to and keep? Yeah. I wouldn't want to own office buildings. I'll yeah. tell you that because yeah. there are a lot of companies like my wife's company. She works in private equity that, it's just as easy to do from home as it is in the office and with zoom and all the things that all the, all the tools that are available. Um, I really think that office space is going to be, uh, something that is free in every city in America. David. Yeah, I think, um, I think that's right. And I think, I think as far as, and, and also from a school perspective um i think there's going to be fundamental changes in the way that secondary inf- uh, education is going to adapt to this i mean um you know universities i think people are beginning certainly families looking at the expense of college and especially the first couple of years you know they're i think online education is going to be something that is going to be more considered by many families yeah uh, i th- you know especially now that you know, some universities are going to try to charge, you know, the 30,000, yeah. 50,000, 70,000 for online learning. Uh, people are not going to stand for that. No, I agree. And I think that people are, you know, there, I think there may have been a stigma at some level about online learning isn't as good as, you know, in classroom learning. But I think we found out that creative instructors will find ways to teach creatively. And it isn't the worth, like what, like Rick said, the cost of education is so high as it is. People have been looking for an excuse to save some money. Um, Or maybe the first couple of years you go on some online portal or a community college, and then you go to the, you know, the, the real big university down there in Champaign. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I think. I think that that mindset has changed. Of course, we may just be bitter because we have kids that are about to go to college. <laughs> right. and I've had, you know, I, I, you know. I want to ask you guys one more question that Howard has asked me. Okay. And I'd be interested to know what, what you think you're going to do. The, the day that COVID-19 is no longer a threat at all, we have a vaccine, we're all celebrating uh, if there's any such day where you can say it's over. What do you think the first thing is that you want to do the next day? What do you want to do when it's all over? I want to go to Wrigley Field and see a Cubs game, that, which I, I'm starting to wonder if I'm ever going to get to see again because uh, uh, that's going to be the very last thing that comes back 
when if we can go out to public sporting events. I miss it. I really do miss it. Yeah, I I, th- I think actually I would. I might go to the Horseshoe Casino and play poker. Uh, I you know I um I I only play three or four times a year. I used to play a lot more, uh, but you know you can't play you can't play poker anymore. Uh, and, and and casinos only have three or four players per table in the poker rooms, which isn't to me isn't really poker. It's shorthanded. I want I, you know I want the big nine table or the nine player tables and going to the horseshoe where I can spend six or seven hours, um, con, and you know confined with people the 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 mass unwashed and not be worried that I'm going to die. And, and by the way, uh, as his business partner, yeah. that could be the worst answer ever. Right, right. I'm going to go to petty. I'm going to go to petty cash <laughs> yes. and go to Horseshoe Casino. <laughs> uh, well, these, I mean, these are the. Th- I can't wait. The, the thing, the first thing I'm going to do, is, uh, rush over to Howard's house, and give him some long pants. And just black frame glasses, <laughs> so they can take those ridiculous glasses and leopard shorts off. And you're going to try and get your money. Some leopard long pants. I'll get them leopard long pants. Yeah, some trousers, <laughs> some leopard trousers. <laughs> you're, you're assuming I don't have any Zubas. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> Guys, we would like to give special thanks to our executive producer Tony Lasano with OpiShows.com. Opi is hippo backwards o-p-p-i-h shows.com and we are distributed by ed silha with uh, radio misfits great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place radio misfits.com and our guests have been rick kempfer and david stern they are the minutia men and minutia men celebrity interview and then rick has another show free kicks free kicks so guys thank you very much Thanks. Well, thanks, Rick and David. Really hope, we'll, we'll help you've enjoyed this. Oh, I've enjoyed great. it. It's been great. It's been great. Let's do it next Thursday again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. We're going to be working I'm on our book. I'm saving my money. I'm saving my money. We're all going to get together and play poker. I like oh, that idea. That would be great. Sounds so, good. I like that too. Uh, so, yeah. A couple things. Rick giggles when he has a good hand. Don't just, give, that's uh, my tell. Yeah. Don't don't give him my yeah, tell. He just starts to giggle. So just fold. <laughs> whatever Rick, whatever Rick giggles, you fold. That is all you got to do. So Rick, Rick, is it true that you giggle as you pee in the shower? <laughs> yes, it is. All it right, is. never mind. Never mind. That's never how mind. my wife knows. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, this won't thanks, take long. Thanks. Sit tight and listen to Steve and I try to end this show. Steve, I, we go through this a thousand times. Just, We're finished, and you know what I, you know what I, yeah, it's over. So, till next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Why do you have to have a last word? <laughs> you know, I told you it's like Miles Davis. It's over. When he talked to John Coltrane, and you know what Coltrane used to say to Davis. I can't, Miles Davis used to say, why you play these solos so long, so long? And John Coltrane would say, I can't find a place to stop. And Miles Davis would say, why don't you try taking the horn out your mouth? (laughs) That's it. This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. 
consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? This week on Minutia Men's Celebrity Interview, we have two, two, two stars in one. Yeah, we've got Steve Baskerville and Howard Sudbury, two Chicago television legends. Don't believe us? Here they are. Say hello, guys. Hello. hello. <laughs> okay. See? Uh, see? They may be television legends, but they're not that quick anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they don't pay attention. <laughs> Be sure to tune in, and you'll hear more stuff like that. Solid gold. The Minutia Men Celebrity Interview on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits. Previously on Lozano and Friends. Bruce Dumont of the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Bruce, what's your story about Charles Bronson? I was doing my show from New York, and one of the big stories in New York at that time was uh, the Guardian Angels were part of the story. It was Rudy Giuliani was mayor. There was the crackdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, crime in New York was going down because people were getting outraged. They were taking their neighborhoods back. That was a national movement that was going on. As I'm preparing, I'm sitting literally in Central Park. Uh, I'm preparing for my show that night. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, as I'm sitting on the bench, you know, this is so different than the image of New York and crime and Charles Bronson and Death Wish and all that other stuff. And I knew that I was going to sort of talk about that subject that night, that crime in New York was going down. And I looked to the right, and there, five feet away from me on my bench is Charles Bronson. <laughs> I was specifically thinking of Charles Bronson Death Wish. Right. And right. Charles Bronson <laughs> sits next to me. <laughs> and I then said, well, am I going to bother? He's by himself. So I very quickly introduced myself. He wasn't very impressed. I said, but I want to talk about America is now reacting, and, and some people are calling it a vigilante take back of their neighborhoods. Do you have any sense of, of pride and authorship of this transformation that's happening in urban America because of your films? Yeah. And he said, no, I really don't. Uh, things change. And uh, that's, I mean, he didn't really say anything really deep to be thinking of Charles Bronson in that setting. And for him to sit next to me, I think is one of the most bizarre things that ever happened to me. I'm going to ask you, can you think about Alyssa Milano for right now? Just to see what happens. <laughs> Get more Lasano and Friends now on Lasano.com. Is this over? Yes.